0: wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff
1: Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board mm.
0: I can't go back. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Hey, welcome everyone to She Became Visible and you are going to be so thrilled with my guest today. I <laughs> want to introduce you to her and you know, I'm starting to say to people, gosh, I haven't worked with you for 6 years or I've known you for 10 years or, and it just goes by so quickly. And I don't even remember sometimes where I meet people and why they have become so important to my life. And, but I know how I met Dr. Mary. So I will tell you about that in a minute, but let me introduce (laughs) her to you first. She is a board certified licensed internal medicine doctor who is a recognized expert in CBD and cannabis. She provides consultation to patients and is a leader in teaching practitioners how to Incorporate Telemedicine and cannabinoids into Their Treatment Protocols. And um, I, she is uh, the best-selling author of The Grass is Greener, Medical Marijuana, THC and CBD Oil, Reversing Chronic Pain, Inflammation and Disease, and Get Wasted, as well as Five Companion Cookbooks. Her training tools teach healthcare providers and experts how to provide guidance and recommendations for their patients and clients. Her hemp-derived formulations are used across the country, and that's just like a tiny little segment of everything this lady has done in her whole entire <laughs> life. And I met her when she was doing the Get Wasted program. And you know what's funny, Mary? I still get calls. Not, not a lot, but I still get calls for people who say, hey, I saw the Get Wasted program, and... And I have to say, oh, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but it was uh, – well, I'll tell you about it when we get farther into the thing. But it was life-saving for me. And I feel like it was, um, it was a firm, clear indication that making a change in your life, whether it's how you're going to eat or how you're going to exercise or moving to a different part of the country, you, it, you can't just fly by the seat of your pants on everything – At least I can't. I do. I do. I love spontaneity. I do love flying by the seat of my pants, but sometimes I need direction. And when I found Get Wasted, it was like what I needed when I had decided that I was going to try going vegan for a while. Um, Because saying that you're going to go vegan sounds very fun and lovely and noble. But the reality is when you start going, oh, wait, so I can't eat that and I can't eat that. And what can I eat? And Am I just going to chomp on carrots all day or how does that work? And so Dr. Mary's program was life-saving. But anyway, let me, one of the things that I loved the most when I met Dr. Mary was her story of her very beginning, like when she was in junior high and high school, because that to me says something about who she is, her fortitude, her determination, her vision of who she was. And I think that applies to the, she became visible theme more than a lot of people that I know, because she obviously, Dr. Mary, you tell me if I'm wrong, I think you knew who you were like when you were young and you had a goal, (laughs) right? And so tell us, okay, introduce yourself. Tell us about your Childhood, from the standpoint of where you were in the family, how you identified, um, who gave you the confidence to know who you were, mm-hmm. and and or did you have to fight for your self identity? So, kind of start there.
1: Well, you know, it's uh, my uh, my my mother is still in my childhood home. And in March of 2020, just before the pandemic, she um, she got very sick. She ended up in the hospital for some type of neurologic catastrophe. Uh, you know, it, it it seemed like a stroke, but there wasn't a lot of evidence of stroke on, on the uh, CAT scans. So we, and we can't MRI her because of some metal in her body. So we really didn't get any good answers as to what happened, but she was out of it for three days in rehab for, you know, and, and, and general medical floors after she got out of the ICU for like seven days. And then we took her home because they said, well, it, it's, we're, we're going to put her in a uh, nursing home, you know, to do subacute rehab. And then she'll, she'll be fine. And she'll come home in three, in two, three months. And I was like, I don't think she'll come home if we put her in a nursing home right now with the pandemic, like just starting to hit this. So, so I refused nursing home and took her home against uh, advice. And, and my sister and I, Took care of her there for seven months and so i was sort of back in my childhood home and renee you didn't have you you never get a break uh, from from taking care of somebody. But the girls have moved out. I have a I have a great little one bedroom apartment in New York City. I'm you know, I travel all over whenever I feel like it. And uh, and then I mean, I was on African safari in November and then I was in Alpena, Michigan for seven months taking care of my mother, you know, three or four months after I came back from safari. So it's just be- it, 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 and I I spent a lot of my time back in my childhood home thinking about what my past really is, because I think I could give you so many different stories about where I came from and who I was. You know, I mean, I can tell you that I grew up in a small town and my dad was a builder. So we had a nice home because my dad built it um, about a mile out of town. And it has just a touch of acreage around it. It had a nice private feel but uh, you know you but you could also approach that that we were a little bunkered down and a little insular as a family and probably didn't have um a lot of uh, a lot of relationships to like support and bounce things off of you think you could shut my door thank you and then um And then and then, you know, also, of course, my parents are married and they were married for over 50 years. And, you know, my dad was uh, always very supportive. We didn't have a lot of addiction in our family where we had things to deal with. But, you know, my dad started working on the boats when I was four. And so he he, my mother was a bit of a single mother because my dad would go away for at least half the year and do these 60 days on 30 days off with the Great Lakes boats and bring down uh, steel and iron ore from Duluth down to Toledo and just do that run and so so I had a dad but I didn't really ever see him and there was a couple of years there when there was like when things were very busy and it it, and and the economy was booming and everybody was building that my dad was on the boat continuously for almost two years you know we saw him for a couple of eight-hour visits Wow. So, you know, so, so it's such a, I just really can't tell you exactly where I came from. There were some real consistencies like in my home and in my school and my church, but, um, but, you know, a lot of things were really tumultuous under that surface. Interesting. You know?
0: So, so in other words, which I think, um, so your, did your mother and father, play a role that was kind of culturally defined for them growing up in the Midwest, growing up in this, what, 60s, 70s. um, Mom is a stay-at-home mom, dad is a provider, but then he would be gone for a long time. So then when he came home, did he take over the role as head of the home? And mom was like, hey, you don't know what you're doing, dude. Was there any- exactly what happened?
1: Cause she was like, you know, uh, why, why are you doing this now? I've been sitting here doing this without any help for the last six months and it's all gone along fine, but he would want to get back into it. And and in reality, my mother had the brain for the bookworking and accounting that, uh, that I, I think she would have been better at that job. But no, when I got to be like eight years old, she, um, she could see that the six kids were grown and gone and that she was going to need to do something with her time. So she bought a a real estate office and uh, started selling real estate. She worked there for a year and then she bought the office when I was nine and she closed the office when she was 87. She just stayed and worked forever. She would, she would drive in and spend, she, you know, she did it her way. She would go in at noon at, you know, and leave at five and, and she would go to her desk and somebody would bring her coffee. And, you know, so it was, um, she had a lot of fun at it for a long time. Really. my my parents love real estate.
0: That's amazing. So she was able to, which I love, she was able to, you have six, there's six kids. You have five siblings.
1: Yeah. But okay. spaced over 15 years. So really oh. I have, you know, the kids that I know yeah. were like my sister and the twins and then me, there were the four of us. But by the time I was, you know, nine years old, it was just me and the, uh, and the twins at home.
0: See, now that's what happens when dad's gone for a long period of time. and then He comes home. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're like five years apart. And that, yeah, no, that's that's you know, amazing. To
1: say. I don't, I don't really understand it because, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't, you know, they, Deb left when, uh, after I was born, like I was four and I think he was having trouble continuing to build. He was getting some arthritis. Oh yes. And they said, rather than put you in a situation where we destroy your body, you know, but they needed to make money. They had made six kids.
0: Right, right. So
1: yeah. So they put him on the boats.
0: So you and your sister are at the tail end of that family. So you are like, you're, you are how much age difference between the oldest child and you?
1: So the oldest is 15 years older.
0: Okay. So that, and, yeah. yeah.
1: And then he, she kind of had like two boys. Uh-huh. My sister who has a disability, she has muscular dystrophy. She's passed away. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then the twins, a boy and a girl, and then me. Okay. So, but they, there, it was like the two boys pretty quickly within two years of each other, uh-huh. five years my disabled sister, five years. And then the twins and me.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. the sister, I mean,
1: that was natural family planning. Yeah. My mom says that God spaced them so that she would have time to take care of Teresa. You yeah. know, the boys would be like half grown. There were no other kids in the shoot, but then at one point, you know, when she, when she had the twins, it was kind of perfect too, because Teresa had been babied so terribly oh. that, you know, it went when the twins came, she had to start, you know, growing up a little bit,
0: a little bit of so. discipline, a little bit of no. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> (laughs) Wow. So did her disability, did that, was what was the part that made you say, I'm going to be a doctor? Anybody else in your family in medicine? What made you say, I'm going to be a doctor someday?
1: Well, I always really had the thought that I would be a scientist, honestly. I love bench research and I love, you know, cooking things on hot plates and mixing things together and seeing what happens with chemical reactions. So I probably would have been a biochemist or an organic chemist. Um, but I got pregnant in high school okay. and I had a baby in my senior year of high school. And then I, I, my whole like plan to never get married and never have kids and just do a whole bunch of chemistry in a lab somewhere for working in a, in a university and not caring how much money I made, just furthering the science on a virus or something. Right. I, uh, all that just, you know, I had to just start thinking more concretely. That's amazing. My mom said, why don't you just become a doctor? Because I had all of the grades to do it and yeah. stuff. And the science. And, you know, yeah. So that's what I did. So now I've been doing more clinical research. Now that I have some time, I've been you know, thinking about research again, but thinking about it in terms of like, you know seeing how i'm putting together a study right now for a company that is doing hydration and they want to look at how quickly the stomach empties and what kind what happens to somebody when they take you know, they want to get the water into the cells faster with right. this product and so um so we have to figure out how we're going to design that study and so i'm having that fun who knew that you had to do that when you were 50 you know right. when you have kids like everything else becomes this background. And then you, you know, cause you're, because you're so focused on raising kids and then, you know, half of the nights of the week, right. You get to eight o'clock at night and it's time for bed for you too. That is- <laughs> I mean, you're just, you're just worn to a nub. And so it really limits, I mean, your ability to write a book or, or do a podcast or, you know, I mean, create a career. It's, right. it's a very difficult thing to have a career in kids.
0: Right. That's exactly right. And I remember, yelling at my kids one day and saying, um, it is 10 o'clock. I am no longer your mother at 10 o'clock. You better either be in bed or hide. You better hide because I'm done, you know? And those, and then, so you'd have to stay up all night to get anything done for yourself. Even if Mm -hmm. it was something like clean or, or whatever, it couldn't be done until the nighttime. And even
1: like deep conditioning, your hair is yes, like, forget it. Anything. And, yeah. And so and it's, it's so, so, funny. so funny. I used to say that to my girls. If you, whatever, if you have a nightmare, if you have some, if you thought you heard a bump, don't you dare wake me up. I mean, I cannot be woken up. If you, if you have, I mean, if you're bleeding, okay. Yeah. But I mean, then, and then you need to notify me. Don't go through the night with a fever, but don't you dare wake me up because you had a little scare in the middle of the night. I have to sleep. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, you have, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, so, okay. So did your, was your family, uh, religious? Was religion a big part of your growing up?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that the the key uh the key things that my family focused on were religion and education. It was very important to my mother that everybody graduate from college, and then it was also very important that we went to church every Sunday. It wasn't something we could even really think about or talk about in an abstract way. Like it it wasn't those conversations just weren't even in realm it was you know there is a god and we're going to go to church every uh, you know so we never it, it was just part of our lives
0: and was and this then- um <laughs> kind of a protestant lutheran religion or what what was what was your religion oh no roman catholic oh, okay all right yeah. so there was a lot of ritual and and uh, ceremony. Yeah, and-
1: I find that to be really supportive in a meditative sort of way. Um, yeah. I, I I quit going to church. Uh, I don't remember. It was several years ago. And uh, and but I go every now and then. But I I don't uh, find that I need the same you know, I don't find that I need it the way that I used to need it or that I get the relief from it that I used to get from it. So I just, uh, you know, have been, it's, it's had a more limited role in my life, but I think there needs to be some output for some of that spirituality. And I do think there also needs to be a place in your life to find forgiveness Mm -hmm. because, um, I think a lot of us don't have a really good relationship with our, uh, You know, we don't have a great therapist that we can tell every single thing to. We have everybody keeps a secret from somebody Mm -hmm. and that is very close to them Mm -hmm. that you don't want to share with them. Just like, you know. I mean, some terrible things you might say. I think you might be making me allergic. I think you're activating my allergies. That's a terrible thing to say to somebody. But, you know, if somebody's around you all the time. So you might think that. But there's just anyway, there's just things you can't say. And then you feel guilty about them. And you have to forgive yourself for being such a horrible person that everybody has a little black spot on their heart. And and I think that that um, that confession in the Catholic Church is really helpful, Mm -hmm. except I think it's also a terrible crutch for some people i mean i am good friends with my old priest back in northern michigan mm. and i saw him last w- winter when i was up there I, I had him over for a dinner with a bunch of people but he said he sees the same people oh. every every week coming into confession every week they confess the same sins oh. and he does hey, you know i'm so sorry to say this but i really even though you're behind the screen i think i heard you last week confessing the same sin right. and they they just can't get it off their chest so I think there's a place for forgiveness uh, and that maybe the Catholic Church provides, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe self-forgiveness yeah. is still really well, hard to achieve. That's even what I was going to
0: say. So they're not forgiving themselves for something. Yeah. So they just keep dwelling on that guilt, guilt, guilt. Okay, I'll do it again next week. Okay, I'm still not good. I'm still not good enough. Okay, I'll do it again next week.
1: Yeah. So, so that, I don't know, but I mean, I'm sure that pe- all kinds of people have all kinds of crutches that they right. use in those circumstances. So it, at least they're not getting blindingly drunk and, yeah. you know, um, or or going and gambling their entire house away. You know, right. I suppose there's a lot of different ways to manage guilt and
0: stress. That's true. But, so, but there wasn't anything about, even though your family was very devout Catholic, your mother didn't have any problem with saying, all right, well, I'm, I, my kids are getting older. They're old enough to take care of themselves. I'm going to go get a job, and that's okay. <laughs> and there was no one in her congregation that was saying, oh, you really should be home. You still have children left at home, and, and you should be. Or, or did you get any kind of indoctrination that you felt like when you said, I had no desire to get married, I had no desire to have children, I knew what I wanted. Did you have any indoctrination that was like, Oh, but you should be a mother. You you're Catholic. Oh, I mean, you should have I, eight yeah, children, right? I, I didn't
1: I didn't share that with anybody. Okay. I mean, I didn't share my life my real life mission or my life goal or my plans with anybody. I mean, right now I'm living the life I want to live. The kids are moved out and they're like friends, but they're wonderful, close friends. And it's wonderful to talk to them. But um, but I don't have to really raise anybody anymore. I can give people advice if they ask and sometimes unasked. But really, most of the time, everybody's doing their own thing and they everybody just does their own thing. So I can focus on my career and just have a lot of fun being creative and building things, but yeah, it has taken a really long time to get here. And I mean, you know, my mother would always say, you, you know, you have to be independent. You have to take care of yourself. Oh. And I, and I, I think that was just a really bad piece of advice or maybe an incomplete piece of advice. Yeah, that's a good because way of putting I, it. I think finding a great partner and, or, and, wanting to and engaging in working with a team with somebody makes everything so much easier because it's just impossible to be an independent single person running a career raising your kids I mean I did it and it's and I and it's fun and I did it but I mean at the expense of a lot of your own personal creativity and the development of your career I mean something's not going to be you know, at the level that you wish it was. I mean, we get a nice long crack at this life. Right. So even if it, even if you didn't get to it until you were 45, you know, I think a lot of people say, I don't even know how I would do this. I mean, I'm sure all the computer programs have changed. I'm sure everything is different. But, you know, like, I mean, I look back, I just recertified for my internal medicine boards because you have to do that every 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I took the big eight hour exam back uh, like last March, right after Easter, So I guess it was April, but you know, that, I mean, so much of what I'm doing is exactly the same basically as what I did in medical school, you know? So it seems as though everything is rushing at, at breakneck speed, but it really isn't, you know? So the idea that you're too old or that your opportunity passed Mm -hmm. is like, I don't think it, I don't think it did. I think you can still get out there with your personality and your energy and, and take a crack at it. Uh, But, you know, it's going to be a little different as a little old lady. It's a little different than being 20.
0: Well, I mean, when you, so you have a child when you're a senior in high school, obviously your parents were very supportive because you then, but, but if I remember correctly, um, but then of course you have to go to college and then you have to go to medical school. And so, um, yeah. And the, that's probably was the worst part. I mean, hours and hours and hours and no sleep. Who, so did mom and dad, were they there? Were they your support system so that you could accomplish that when you say well, in you, the first it's, you two know.
1: years I went to Alpena community college, I stayed home and I, um, which would have been the plan anyway, cause yeah. we didn't have any money. I stayed home and, uh, we, um, and we, uh, we, uh, you know, I, I mean, I just took, I mean, I had a great time. I took small classes with some really marvelous professors and I I studied as hard as I could all the time and really overachieved and had a blast. Yeah. And then, uh, and I had mom and dad there to help me and I could still go out and party with my friends right. and stuff. But then I moved to Michigan state and I was by myself Okay. And, uh, and mom and dad were a long way away. I was having a lot of time, a lot of difficult time with that. I cried right. a lot. And um, I would just cry when they would leave, when they would come visit me and leave on Sunday. I was just like, I can't believe I'm doing this all by myself. It was it was just so hard. But um, I went to the bar twice in my my junior and senior year of college.
0: And because she's old enough now to go into the daycare, the college had probably a daycare where you could put her in when you were in classes and stuff. Well, like Well, that. that was
1: expensive. I, oh. So I did a private daycare oh, okay. and, uh, but she did qualify for Head Start. Oh, okay. Because we were so because we were so broke, my parents gave me a car and then the rest oh. of it was on me. So I had a car and I had a, a, a you know, a, um, a credit card to buy gas. And if the car broke or something, you know, or if it needed new tires, that was all on my parents. So, I had a very reliable piece of transportation, which which is critical, yeah. you know, yeah. if you're going to try to make it in America. That's, I mean, you know, yeah. you know, with yeah. your bandwork, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. having the car was wonderful, and it, I always had a reliable, clean, you know, car. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, the rest of it, I just put on loans and then paid them off. I think when I was 42. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh! But what I, I think what I love about your story is this is the daughter who is also a doctor. Correct, or is this yeah. yeah.
1: So I love. The little one is getting to be a lawyer. I think oh she's. I think she's on her way to law school here pretty soon. Yeah.
0: But I mean, I love that you set this example, even if it was subliminal, that um, you can do this or you can be whoever you want to be. And so she, instead of like I said, yeah. she watched you. She lived it. And instead of going, I am never going to do my my. You know, she was like, Oh, I'm going to do that too. Is she? It, 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 does she have a different specialty, or is she also an internal physician?
1: Uh, she's Jin, but she's specialized OBGYN. So she's like got regular hours. I think she, you know, learned a lot with oh, my hours nice. and, the, you know, erratic nature and having to go into the hospital. She's, you know, created a, a different, I do think that at whatever, I mean, I do think you really need to think about you know, how much geographic mobility you want or how much you actually have, you know, I mean, one of my business ventures right now is keeping me in Orlando, you know, between seven to 10 days a month. Oh, wow. And I can, I can do Orlando seven to 10 days a month, right. but um, it, but it does take me away from other places where I, you know, where, where I have an impact and it takes me out of my home. So it's just, something to consider if that's something that you want, or if that's something that isn't, isn't reasonable for you, because some geographic mobility is desirable, yeah. you know, when you're trying to figure it out at any point in your life. And especially right. when you're an amateur, I think the things that I kept in mind in these last couple of years, as I sort of shifted out of office and hospital based practice and patient based medicine, and really dove into, you know, uh, being a formulator and a producer of products and and a consultant you know like thinking about practice a little differently i i thought about adding beauty wherever i went creating something that was better after i walked away from it and really trying to add that that's that extra touch so that it's a truly beautiful experience or product or whatever's happening. And the other thing I kept in mind is that I'm an amateur. And I say that all the time to people, you know, when, when I was in a meeting today, talking about uh, doing some consulting for, uh, for a, uh, for a telemedicine company, and I have a lot of experience there, but I was, so I'm super excited about this opportunity, but I have to be honest, I'm an amateur on the business side. I don't understand how much you charge, the person going to the telemedicine visit and I don't know where all that money goes. My experience with it is just me seeing the patient. Right. And so I understand the systems and I, and I know which ones patients like, and I, and I think I know how to handle the doctors, but I don't understand the business side of it yet. So I I really do need, you know, I suggested that we get a good telemedicine lawyer to help us. So you just have to recognize where you're an amateur and And declare yourself that because when you're coming in with gray hair, you know, you, I don't have as much as you have, but when you're, when you're so, so, so when you come in with gray hair, they expect this level of expertise, but at the same time, you might find yourself having been in one position for a very long time. You know I mean? I saw patients for a very long time and I still dream about doing codes in the hospital, you know, when somebody, when somebody's heart stops and I have to be the composer for all of the symphony and make sure that pharmacy is doing their thing and the compressions are right. And the, and the pads are on for the next time we're ready to shock. Like I still go through all of that in my mind and it it wakes me up in the middle of the night sometimes, but, um, but this kind of
0: stuff, I mean, I don't know this stuff that well, you know, but I love that because that is what there is a tendency, I think, especially in, in this, you know, 21st century, Of people thinking that unless you are an expert in everything that it takes to do whatever, a business, um, Mm -hmm. then you're not, you're not good enough or you're not smart enough. And I think people in the past recognize that it takes a team. You can't be an expert. Like you said, you can't be a tech expert and a a medical doctor and a, a bookkeeper and a tax accountant and everything else that it takes to make a successful business and it takes a team you cannot do it on your own it will never work and i love that you are such an expert and such a a um, professional in your area but then it comes to the tech stuff and you're like i don't know how to do this you want a heart transplant you know lay down i can do that but i'm not going to be able to put this you know website and this you know telemedica you need you need this team and i wish people would would understand that more but i think this weird crossover that's going on like i I, I saw, I was watching a morning show this morning when I was doing all this stuff and I saw a, a, um, a Broadway actress and she's, you know, just written a children's book and, and she also does movies and she's, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't remember that growing up. When I grew up, I remember that there was the theater. And there was television and there were the movies and there were book writers and there everybody had their specialty. Now it's like, oh, you can do the movies. Can you sing? Can you dance? Can you be a Grammy winner? Can you also do theater? Can you also write a children's book? Can you all, you know, so there, so now it's like, oh, if you don't do all that, mm, you're, you're not really, you know, you're not really an expert. And I, I think there, it's There a, really is like a specialty, yeah. like those there people. Has to be. You know, like. But mm-hmm. but what blows my mind is you guys. You have to follow. What's your TikTok uh, handle?
1: Oh, it's a it's Mary Clifton MD. I thought about it for a really long time.
0: <laughs> okay, but I'm not kidding you. When I watch you, I'm thinking: Is she reading a teleprompter, or is that coming out of her head? You, your knowledge and your retention for knowledge blows me away because you oh. are rattling off these statistics and studies and research. And, and, and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I can't even tell you what that book was about. I read last week, you know? So tell me, okay, so how did you get into the CBD cannabis? Uh, where did, how did, what led you into that? Like you said, the research and the study, because yeah. I mean, I, my grandson has a girlfriend that has epilepsy. And oh. so, and I know I've read a lot about autism and epilepsy and things, uh, different oh, illnesses that are benefiting from the cannabis and CBD oils and this kind of thing. But where did, where was this in your, in your research science? Career. Well, it,
1: it, you know, it came up in a couple of different ways. I mean, I was thinking about doing something I had done vegan and I, and I, you know, wrote a couple of books and th- I think three companion cookbooks and, um, and, uh, traveled around the uh, country and, and spoke everywhere and really had fun in the vegan community. I had that group of coaches, but I was just, um, not really able to figure out how to monetize it. I mean, it was carrying itself along yeah. and I had to eat it now and then but it never really was like finally cohesive into something that would take off. So I was like, I'm just gonna stop that. I mean, I just really, and I, and I, it was very hard to release that because I had put, you know, several years into it and really give it a good college try. Right. But I, but I just couldn't figure out how to monetize it. And it didn't make sense. No. It wasn't, if, if it was changing millions of lives, right. then, then, you know, I could have probably given it more time, brought an investor in, but it was, it was really still on the thousands, even after all that time. So I, so I just waited for a while and then, um, you know, my sister died, but before that, maybe after that, before that, my brother Tim died. He died about five years ago of colon cancer. He, oh, had a, my he was 56 oh. and he he had a terrible, um, but you know, he he loved to drink hard liquor and he, although I don't know how much he actually drank, he smoked for years. He, um, you know, ate a terrible diet. I think every day he had a piece of beef jerky and a little Debbie cake.
0: And he just loved to eat. Dinner! Horrible. Dinner is served. So,
1: yeah, yeah. So It was like, God bless you. I mean, you know, you've got to start eating some fresh food. But anyway, he, um, so when he passed away, it was very, very traumatizing. It was a terrible death. And I started to wonder if he would have benefited. I was hearing about mushrooms at end of life and I was hearing about cannabis. So I started to read about it and I was like, Wow, this is, I mean, plants we know already are so powerful if you just eat a radish instead of a Twix bar. Right. But what would happen if you took a plant that truly had medicinal qualities? So I started to read all the studies and then I just, you know, did my standard. Um, obsession with something trying to learn everything because I'm really a ready fire aim person oh, so yeah. I did my readiness you know of just like I wanted to learn everything and then I opened up cbd and cannabisinfo.com as just a purely educational website mm-hmm. and then uh and then you know now we're developing a coaching community but instead of being like instead of just selling an idea right. that you could probably read about you know we just we have an, a, a line of really great products. So, you know, that's so so now I have a business plan of identifying people who are interested in what I'm talking about and then getting an email uh, from them, getting a way to communicate with them and then offer them really great deals on the CBD and cannabis products, um, you know, through my email listing.
0: That's amazing. And uh, what, what I love about it is, and, and like you said, living in the vegan world, you're already aware of the fight between the pharmaceuticals and the FDA and, and mm-hmm. you know, when really, you know, food can be your medicine and food can make a difference in your life. And it's so hard for people to understand, like, you know, that um, food can heal you. And they don't believe that because the advertisement just said, in spite of everything that you're doing, you still need to take this product, you know, and, and, or even this last pandemic. I mean, even the pandemic that just happened, um, Mm -hmm. everything that was touted about the vaccinations and things like that, it's like, well, you know, there is a place for all parts of medicine. There is a, a place for all of that. Nobody had, Either the guts, or I don't know what the thing was to talk about your eating and your vitamin D that you get from the sun and exercise and what is your BMI and and nobody ever addressed that as far as your health was concerned because we we live in such a cancel culture right now that we don't want to offend anybody and we don't want to uh, make anybody feel bad that, that they're eating like I said beef jerky and and you know Twinkies you're kind of like that's good yeah. if that if you do you girl you want to eat Twinkies and Diet Coke and jerky. That's good. You just do. Well, you, but then you know. just don't expect yeah. great help. You know, right. people people say to me, I
1: don't I don't want to be on all these blood pressure meds. I don't want to be on this cholesterol. But well, then don't be
0: right. You know,
1: there then don't then make the decisions of a person who is not on blood pressure and cholesterol meds. Right. You know, you, you can't live like the person who takes the meds and then not take the meds and then expect to survive to a ripe old age, right. you know, you right. just, there's, you're there, it really is the only fuel your body gets outside of the air you breathe. Right. And I mean, the air you breathe is of course important, but I would have, it It should be clean yeah. and and there has to be a certain amount of oxygen in it. But I mean, you know, the major source of fuel for your body is what you're putting in your mouth, but it, but I have gotten to be, such a little brat about my food. I'm I I have been eating a lot of unhealthy food and I've gained some weight. And, um, and it's probably not even perceptible to most people, but it is, but it bothers me and it has me and I'm just back to eating all those great old foods. So I know what I, I remember when I first tried to change my diet, when I, cause I had prediabetes and high cholesterol when I was 32, I think I was diagnosed or 34 and I ended up going, uh, you know, whole hog into the vegan thing. Mm -hmm. And that, um you know, and that cured my conditions within like three days, but um, which was, it still blows my mind. But I mean, but it took me two years to quit eating, you know, barbecued ribs. I would just save all of my calories and I stayed skinny, but I ate every time I put something in my mouth, it was horrible. You know, very, I think 80% of my diet was meat and cheese, the calories, 80% of my calories. When I went vegan, were coming from meat and cheese. I'd put meat and cheese on a salad or I'd have meat and a vegetable Uh, for dinner. That's or true. an That's egg true. for breakfast, two yeah. eggs for breakfast if I was hungry, you know? And then so it, all of my calories were animal protein and it, it was just doing me in. Right. So, I mean, I had like beginning of arthritis. I had so many problems. I had bad asthma that I was using an inhaler. I haven't used an asthma inhaler in since I went vegan. Wow.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I do have some persistent skin trouble, but and it's much, much worse since I've been eating like in this crazy, embarrassing way. So yeah. I'm just trying to like regain my control yeah. over, over it and yeah. stop this, stop, stop this. Cause this is all just really negative stuff happening.
0: Well, and I think what I have found is your digestive system will tell you for whether you like it or not. It's kind of like, let's see, when was the last time I went to the bathroom? I don't think, I don't think a week and a half is good. So, you know, your body's going to tell you, Hey, you're not getting enough fiber. You're not eating enough vegetables or you're, you know, your, your body's going, Oh, okay. Is that what we're doing now? Fine. That's great. You know, um, it, it, it's interesting when my, when my, um, uh, 23 and me results came back in the difference mm-hmm. between the 23 and me and like the ancestry, well, the ancestry, you know, tells me that I'm hundred percent European. You're like, Oh, no kidding. Um, but the 23 and me, you know, comes back and says, you have, you're at a high risk of macular degeneration. And even in that case, I was like, yeah, I know my mom, my aunts, you know, my one, one aunt that went blind another aunt that's almost blind. Um, you know, so I was already kind of aware of that, but to have that show up in my DNA was like, what, you know, and then I also had, it, it came back and said that I had one of the two variants that would show up for, um, celiac. And I was like, maybe that's why all that bread and stuff doesn't work well for me you know um so there is there is a physical component it's not just oh that's not good for you you should eat this you know it's like well and there and maybe i don't know maybe my irish scottish I don't know. Maybe that's saying those aren't good for you. You shouldn't be probably eating that. You know, I don't know, no. but yeah. My- I, do, I do think you can dial it in and be, I mean, but you
1: just, I think, I think the key to health is to just really be like brutally honest with yourself That's the thing. because, you know, you, you can't, you know, I, I talk to people all the time for weight loss medications telemedically, you know, that we do for some companies and, you know, they, they tell me I eat a great diet and I go to the gym and, you know, I have to just back the whole tape up. I mean, and, and And it's not really my role in those consultations is to determine, you know, if the patient can take the medicine, not to counsel them on how to lose weight, but you are not eating a healthy diet. If you're, you know, two people in one and you're, and you're, and you're going to the gym, you know, there's, there's stuff getting in there that you have to figure out, but it is hard.
0: Yeah. It's It's very hard. hard. But I love, I love what you're, what you're talking about with the CBD and the THC, because my father died. Uh, well he ended up dying of um, COPD, but he mm. had had, um, oh, what was the in, the thing that we thought would take his life? I can't even remember. Uh, he, but he had quit smoking 50 years ago, but he was English. So he had started smoking when he was very young, probably 13, 14 years old, and he had smoked up until he was in his mid-30s, and then he quit, but he ended up dying of COPD. And so his greatest fear was um, of drowning almost, just not being able to get that breath. And um, fortunately, you know, when he was in hospice, morphine was, you know, combined. And so he never had to experience that. But I remember saying to him, because he also had some neck issues and uh, the neck issues caused him to kind of always be, you know, slumped over and i would say gosh dad we i think we should get some medical marijuana for you and and you know but that was kind of against his religion and he didn't feel good about that and but i just thought how would that have relieved your pain how would that have made your days more comfortable and it is a i mean they he's okay taking an opioid
1: my mom won't take anything either oh. except for a Motrin. and you know, and then if it gets too bad, she'll take an opioid, but she wouldn't take cannabis. And when she got home from the hospital with this last episode, I was taking care of her and I was like, hey, let's try. We were basically 50-50 if she was gonna survive. So I think she was sort of kind of like, who cares? Yes. So she took some cannabis and then uh and and then as soon, but just C B D. It wasn't like it was C B D. Okay. And then after uh she started to get better about 2 weeks later she said I don't want that stuff anymore Aww. you know still just really living in that prohibition yeah. so you know I'm not I, I I'm not going to sneak anything into no. anybody's anything you know no. so I I mean I'm not going to try to and plus go ahead and try I mean yeah. CBD you can really taste that grassiness so um you know I, so I just put it up in the cupboard upstairs and there it is you yeah. know I just went back there at Thanksgiving and there was uh you know it's up in the cupboard still
0: isn't that interesting though? It's like, yeah, doc, the doctor said that I should take, you know, these opioids and, uh, but I'm not going to take, I'm not going to take any CBD yeah. oil or things like that, but it, it's is- hard to
1: believe it's as powerful as it is really. I mean, CBD and cannabis, because it has this terrible rap right. and uh, just a terrible stigma around it. And it's, uh, And, and, you know, you can just, you can get it at the gas station, but yet it can stop people from having seizures. And that, that just amazes me that a product that is this powerful can be used to stop such a horrible condition. And, you know, and, and so effectively, so many people with seizures come to cannabis after it's, it's actually the 13th medicine on average that gets added. And, and, and somehow it's so effective for so many people. So there, there are so many conditions like that, that Maybe just simply an imbalance to the endocannabinoid system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the a, fibromyalgia and a lot of muscle aches and pains, a lot of arthritis is very responsive to to balancing the endocannabinoid system, and it really does function as its own hormonal system. The cannabis receptors and similar to the thyroid or similar to the adrenal glands and they all are talking to each other. So if one system is out of balance, it whips the other system out of balance. And then you're on thyroid medicine, you feel adrenally depleted, you know, things, but then if you balance the endocannabinoid system, it brings this refresh and this wellness to all of the other systems. I mean, you know, they're like just eating food. We can go back to food again, which I could talk about all day, actually, (laughs) you know, the, the, uh, the, um, the entero, uh, endocrine system, the endocrine system around the stomach and the pancreas and the liver and gallbladder, and just the digestion of food there. We used to think that, you know, you, the food would go down the chute. The insulin would be squirted out from the pancreas to manage the fat. The the liver would squirt out the bile acids from the gallbladder and that would manage the fat, sorry. And the the insulin would manage the sugar and there you go. But we know now that there's like 36 known hormones that are secreted based on what's happening in the stomach, based on how full the stomach got, how big the stretch was, or if the stomach didn't stretch and the contents. So if you eat a donut, if you just eat a sugary, fatty breakfast, right. a donut, you will see a result in your thyroid system three days later. Wow. Because all of it's talking, it's, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so you think you're just going to have a donut and treat yourself and your whole body is just like incoming, incoming.
0: Wow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, like, just like they, you know, head, shoulders, knees and toes, it's all connected. (laughs) So you think, well, this might, you know, know, my pancreas might be gone. Oh, crap. Here we go again. I got to, you know, load this up. But then what, like you're saying is, oh, your thyroid? Oh, you're, you know, like you say, every brain cell, every, your kid, every, every organ is going to be affected by what you eat. And so then you'll say, well, uh, everything in moderation, you know, well, your, your body isn't saying that your body might be saying, not really, you just kicked us into, I mean, I have a relative that ended up having a liver transplant, uh, had cirrhosis of the liver, the non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver, completely by the diet. You know, he had, I believe he had something besides liver I believe there was a double transplant of some kind, but I don't remember. But oh. it was literally because of the diet. And yet, the you know, the entire family still is like, yes, whipped cream on that pumpkin pie? Absolutely. Now, I mean, I'm not saying we're not going to have pumpkin pie because, you know, hey, it's my favorite. But well, pumpkin pie is um, pretty good for you, actually. Right, right, you know. But um, there is that whole mindset. It's like, well, I can't help it. You know, this is what my body's going through. And it's like, well, maybe you maybe you could, and then maybe you can't. Like I said, my dad had, oh, I remember my dad had um, lymphoid cancer. And um, so we thought that's what was going to take him because every so many years, it would come back again. He'd, he'd take chemotherapy. He'd go into it remission, beat it, beat it down. So we thought, oh, he's going to die of cancer someday. No, he died of COPD. And so, um, you know, I don't know. It's Yeah, there's no guarantee. There is no like, oh, I'm a vegan, therefore I will not die of any disease or whatever, that's not gonna happen. We can't control, like you said, all of the things in our environment plastics and the air and you know, a lot of it
1: is just so hard. It's really, really hard to make these transitions. Like even as I'm saying that pumpkin pie is good for you. I mean, right. I would never put cool whip on it and I, I would never uh, eat the crust. I, I always, the great thing about pumpkin pie is the crust is always so sort of thick on the bottom that you can cut through the pumpkin and scoop it out. And then you're eating a custard, yeah. which is really like a little bit of, you can use a non-dairy milk. You can use an egg if you want, or you can smash a banana into it. And then it's free and you're you know eating just something really sweet it's these identification of a few things that you can do that uh that will change your whole health course right. and and i do think as if you want to go out and change the world uh i understand that because i'm right there with you i want to do all of those things too and talk to a big audience of people and and i want to work really hard and create beautiful things but um and of course i want to make a load of money along with that i'm not right. afraid of all that money yeah. but i but I also, you know, you cannot do it if you're if you're slugging around without the energy to even get yourself mobilized some days. You know, right. you, you've got to have really good health because right. nobody has any patience for you when you don't. Right. Everybody really, expects you to take care of yourself.
0: I, I love that because I think that's the truth. And I do think that there are certain things that, certain things I have tolerance. Sugar, you know, I have tolerance for that when, you know, people... Uh, Like you said, if it's a natural cane sugar and they whatever, um, that's a whole different issue. But I I think I do think sugar is probably killing everybody. But when but other things like high fructose corn syrup, I have no tolerance for that. It's like if you're if you can't read a label and see that the very first ingredient is high fructose corn syrup, that's going to kill you. So then it's like, okay, that can't be well moderation, You know, that can't be the moderation thing. I mean, yeah, that's the thing that that should
1: just never get in. Right, That should never get in your body under under very, uh, very rare circumstances should it get in your body. And if you actually thought about going out and harvesting the olives and squeezing the oil and then having and then having to somehow store that oil in the absence of refrigeration or, you know, in modern day canning, you would realize just how precious a little couple tablespoons of olive oil in the bottom of the pan is, yeah. you know, that's just not something that you would. And if you just remove that bad habit of like dumping a bunch of oil in the bottom of the pan before you start cooking, you know, if you can just cook through steaming or other methods or or that air fryer, it gets rid of so many calories, wow. you know, that's amazing. Yeah. So you have to just try to think about where all those crazy calories and ill health are sneaking in and just start scouring them out.
0: <laughs> right. And it's, and like you say, it's not easy. I, I don't want to put off some kind of an, an air that it's like, oh yeah, I only, you know, I I only eat whatever um, non-processed food or whatever. I certainly don't want to give off that impression because it isn't easy in this day and age when you can't even go to Staples to get, you know, printer paper, ink, and pencils, without walking through the line and the candy oh, and goodness. the chips and the stuff. It's like, oh my gosh! That please, that is. I mean, then these kids that are in high school with vending machines and and it's horrible what we're doing to our 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 kids and stuff with the amount of processed food, so I I, I
1: do. I love to look at all that stuff myself. I find myself having a really hard time looking away. So I try to look at all those things instead of thinking like, oh, which would be the most delicious? I try to look at them as, um, you know, how are they branding it? And where are they positioning it? And how are they making that brand stick out amongst all of these other brands? You know, I try to think of it from a marketing perspective. And then I can focus on something else instead of how delicious, a Interesting. So instead
0: of looking at it as food, you look at it as a product. How is it being marketed? How, you know, and so that yeah. takes away that uh, craving because it's not a food, it's a product. And you're not, yeah, gonna, you know, just, I love that. There's just some
1: stuff that you can't think of as food. Yeah. I think if you're going to be <laughs> a so person, like you can't think that there is food at uh, McDonald's or Burger King. Yeah. Uh, who's probably your number one sponsor? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, there's just some places yeah. that we just we just can't. Yeah, you just can't have. So you don't your... look at
0: it as food. You look at it as I don't know what. You yes. just
1: drive past it. It's just a building. You just it just doesn't drive there's nothing it. there's nothing in there. Yeah. And then um, but but that'll make a big difference if there's just certain places. My daughter was really serious about her food for a long time and then was really upset with me because she had gone for eight years. My little one without eating at a McDonald's and she was like, There is no food here and I'm starving and I don't see this place as food. And I was, you know, we were with my mom and dad. I'm yeah. like, you know what? I'm not going to honor this right now. Like we just we have to just do our best at the McDonald's your best.
0: I love that. Okay. Dr. Mary, as we conclude, where is the medical profession? Because you are an MD, you're a licensed medical doctor. Where are, where is the medical profession with the THC and, and the CBD? Where, where are we? I mean, is it going to be accepted at some point or are doc, can doctors prescribe it yet? I think,
1: Well, you have to get a special prescription from, you know, a special uh, doctor group. So that would be a, uh, you know, so that, so there's, there's, there's some hurdles, but when there's medical cannabis, yeah, oftentimes you have to get your medical cannabis card. But I think that the whole medical cannabis card industry is going to probably go away because, um, in, in, in States, uh, where cannabis has been legal for a while the uh the state is adding regulations and just making it very difficult to get a medical cannabis card so that people just go through the rec industry and that way they can get more taxes and more regulatory expense you know money from them and just get rid of the whole uh, medical industry so they're just trying to apply pressure to the medical industry all the time um so medical cards you know but uh, but then once you do that, and I think that the I think it just takes time and education. Right. I'm just out here providing a lot of education and trying to help people see it, but there's still plenty of people who have terrible stigmas. I mean, you know, I had a, a psychiatry girlfriend who came to visit me in in my in New York uh last year. And well, it must have been it was like shortly after the pandemic. Well, no, it must've been before the pandemic. Oh. So it was a bit ago, but she expressed concern about my licensing and my board certification, you oh. know, that somebody would might feel that what I'm doing is because it's still federally, federally illegal, right? right? Right, So she was like, just be super careful. I'm really worried, you know? So I think whenever anybody is ready to take your license, they just will, if, yeah. if they find that you're a menace. So I really try not to be a menace. I right. just try to, add value and provide education and, you know, create good outcomes for people and try not to be too obnoxious, but sometimes the, uh, the, the lack of, you know, of, of, uh, of education and the and the pressure that's applied to the medical cannabis industry the lack of disabled people being able to grow at home those things get very annoying to me you know i i want people to have access to the medicine if it works for them and and i i don't want people to have to rely on a medicine and then have to pay an exorbitant amount of money that they just can't afford because insurance doesn't help So we either need to get insurance to help for people who need it, which, you know, good luck when is insurance ever paid for anything or we need uh, to um, or we need to, you know, uh, make home grow more available for disabled. So we need to keep uh, some attention to the medical issues in this industry.
0: Yeah, it's so sad because I know um, I think uh, it was legalized in Arizona a year or maybe two years ago, I can't remember, but it's still not um, accessible. If, if, if I understand, I, I don't know if, if I understand it correctly. I tried to get a medical marijuana card for my son, but because I'm his caregiver, I was told that I had to get a card first, and then he had to get a card. But he is, you know, as you know, nonverbal and and blind, and you know, doesn't have any control over, so he can't. You know, so I when I tried to register, I registered started registering me and then I started registering him with my email address. And they're like, no, 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 that can't have, it was so difficult. It was like, whatever, I'll yeah. just, I'm not even going to do yeah, it. I've
1: had, you I've know. had that situation with caregiver situations. You do have to have the separate emails. It is. And you just really need to work with a uh, cannabis doctor who is experienced and understands and is willing to do it with you. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people will just say, I won't do that. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't do kids. I yeah. don't do, and so you'll like, you know, you'll find one person in an entire state who's willing to write for childhood epilepsy, you know, and um or 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 severe ADHD or autism or people, families who are suffering with those conditions. Yeah. But um but it is, it's very, very tricky. And I had a little run in with the autism community on my ticket. TikTok page. I posted a uh, a thing about how there was some new research that the THC might end up being even more valuable than the CBD for for people dealing with autism, mm-hmm. and uh, it was over New Year's Eve weekend. And I spent my entire weekend responding to people. Wow. It was uh, it was really overwhelming. Uh, you know, they they very very upset because I think a lot of people, you know, would worry that a caregiver doesn't have mm-hmm. The data that they yeah, need. Yeah, how much, like, what's the, the dosage non-verbal. and all that stuff,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: like, is it working for you? I mean, how would you know? Or is right. it, how would you know if he needs it? Or how would you know if he even wants it, you Right. Know?
0: Well, and that's the hard thing. I mean, when I tried to get it to, um, oh, gee, this always does this. It pops up on my screen, but whatever. Um, when I tried to get it was because we, there was a time when my son was just very anxious. And I could tell he was uncomfortable. I could tell that he was in some kind of pain. But because he's nonverbal, It was um, just his physical. He was, oh, oh, you know. And I thought, oh, dude, you you just need to calm down. I just need something that can calm. He was was just very anxious and something was bothering him. And it was just a guess. It's like if you have a a permanent, I mean, he's 36 years old. And it's like if you have a three-month-old baby, they're not verbal. So you just go by their physical or or their, this is not normal. This isn't how they normally act. And and, just always you need know, to
1: find those cues.
0: Right, right. And so it's it, it, you know, it'd be just like, well, let's try a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and couldn't get anything in Arizona. So it was like whatever, and it just had to pass. But that's the most frustrating thing. I remember when he had um surgery and then he developed developed pancreatitis. And I took him into the emergency room and I said, something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. And they did a few tests and stuff, and they said, well, we're just going to send him home because we can't really find anything. And I said, I'm not going home. I'm not taking him home. I'm, I'm telling you, this isn't how he normally acts. So they finally admitted him. And then one of the residents came up, and she said, well, I don't know what they're looking at down there, but uh, it's very obvious from his blood work that he has pancreatitis. And um, so, I mean, he almost died. That's a very severe you know, disease. Pancreatitis is very serious. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, you do, you have to have an advocate and, but I, I think that some people feel as though the advocate that they had wanted to change them or, or, or make them, you know, disappear by over, over drugging them. Yes. And then I believe there's also some people, um, some people that, uh, you know, are, were there, there, you know, there were some people who were talking about, uh, about trying to rid the world of autism through, you know, more even darker and scarier means. So I, so I, I think that that community really has their antenna up whenever anybody starts saying, you know, they're going to function yeah. as a caregiver. I, so it's, it's a, it, but anyway, yeah. that's, that was an interesting experience too. You're always going to get some bad press along with the good oh, press. Yeah. It goes back to the whole
0: Brene Brown thing, right? If you're not in the arena, then, you know, if you're not getting, uh, you know, kicked and it can't beat a dead horse, right? So that's kind of goes back to, to that. Really whole thing, always you know? so great
1: to talk to yeah. you and, <laughs> yeah. and we don't do it enough. I think I know. I'm going to be out in Arizona a bit because I'm working on a project out there, but we'll see. Okay. But, um, but, but I, I, it's been so wonderful just yeah. catching up with you. I you, know. you are such an amazing force in this world. Oh, thank you. I, I'm, I'm so glad that I know you and that, we're friends,
0: exactly, and I feel the same way. And when I saw you on TikTok, it was like finding, uh, you know, a sister or something that you, you know, you thought was what there she is. I had no way of, of getting, you know, getting getting a hold of you, so it was just it was just meant to be. It was one of those serendipity things. So. Thank yes. you for taking time out of your insane <laughs> schedule. And yes, you let me know when you're gonna be in Arizona. And you know, we just got through my I had my daughter-in-law and her sister down visiting, and they came here just for some sunshine and some warmth. And I think it was like 56 degrees the whole time that she uh, they were here. I'm like, I'm sorry. But goes that yeah, way. But we still had sun, so that was better than Portland. But anyway, so all right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. And and showing us and modeling what it is like to, you know, be who you are and, and and taking you and going with what your instincts were and becoming the person that you are because you just knew who you were, doggone it. And I love that. I just love your story. So <laughs> thank you so never. much. Yes, thank so you much. All right. See you later. Bye. We really Bye-bye. will see you later too. I mean, that's a, that's a promise. So yes, yeah, let's definitely do that. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you guys. Is Mary not amazing? And I don't want her accomplishments to make you feel bad that maybe you thought you were going to be a doctor when you were in high school, but you never got that far because um, she's just a unique creature. I mean, what she's done in her brain, you guys get on TikTok and listen to her uh, uh, talk about her industry and her profession and her wisdom just comes out. So it's so amazing. Thank you for joining me today on She Became Visible. I hope that um, you will join me next week when we will have another amazing woman telling her story, uh, explaining how she became who she is, why she became who she she is, and sharing that with the world. So we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.